Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, everyone? Welcome back into another episode of Bills Talk Live uh, with Matt Prino and Ryan Talbot. Uh, it is 7 o'clock on Wednesday. You are on YouTube where we are going to be every week, uh, every week, all the time. Uh, there, there's no end in sight. And tonight we have a very uh, special show lined up for you guys. Uh, a couple of really great guests. Well, one great guest and then the, <laughs> the sports director of Channel 4. Josh Reed. I wondered which one he was going to yeah. say it was great. <laughs> well, uh, thunder and lightning's here, so don't you boys worry. All right. Yeah, if you if you don't realize who that is on the bottom right hand corner, that is Nate Geary of WGR five fifty, uh, host of the pre and post game show uh, every Bill Sunday. And that mustache, I must say, my friend, it is legend. It's quickly becoming legendary. Yeah. So I've been trimming it. Uh, in this area. So it, it, it did start to go over the lip. So I did eventually start to get in there with uh, like my girlfriend's mini scissors, uh, those little ones. Uh, okay. So I've been, I've been uh, primping and, uh, and keeping it 100 as the kids would say. So, uh, but I'll tell you what, this is, this is the second time in like five days I've been on one of these with Josh Reed and I'm, I think it's too much at this point. <laughs> it is entirely too much. <laughs> Listen, I gotta say, you, you, Josh answered the question for us, Nate. When I when we first tweeted this out, he said, "Better hair, Josh Reed or Nate Geary?" Well, Josh came on the show in a hat tonight, so I think the question has been answered. Uh, oh, okay. The question has Show it off a little bit. I was, okay. I was intimidated. I also just came back from a run, so I look got at a you excuse. getting it in, my man Ryan. How you doing over there? Hey, doing great, guys. All right, so uh, we are four days removed from the 2020 NFL Draft. The Buffalo Bills went out and uh, kind of put the finishing touches or you know, just about that on their 2020 roster. I think with the addition of Brian Cox Jr. today, and we'll talk a little bit about that later, um, we're sitting at about 88 uh, players on the roster. So some still some more work for Brandon Bean to do, and as we all know, uh, the tinkering never finishes. You know, But I wanted to start off the show today with – uh, a topic that I think is very interesting, and I'd like to get both of your guys, um, you know, analysis on this. We'll start with Josh. If you go back to, you know, that Houston weekend uh, when the Bills lost in Houston, the playoff game, you know, the immediate aftermath. And as you started putting together your plans for, you know, the Bills offseason, OK, I'd like them to add this player. I'd like them to do this at this position. Compare that to where we are now with what the Bills actually did, and and where do those two things meet for you? Well, I'd say the biggest box they checked was Stefan Diggs. I, I think everybody kind of felt that way. Mm -hmm. yeah, my second one was Quentin Spain. I thought Quentin Spain was a very, very big piece 
of what that offensive line was able to do last season. They bring him back, so they keep the continuity up front along the offensive line, and they add Stephon Diggs. You know, then everything else was kind of gravy after that. I wasn't entirely sure there was a whole lot more. When you start talking about adding a second receiver to go along with Devin Singletary, that tells me that the holes aren't gaping. Mm-hmm. The, the, the things that you have to add aren't, aren't enormous lifts. So, so I think that, you know, when, when we left Houston after that game, the thought was got to get – Got to get a number one, a true legit number one receiver for Josh Allen, and Brandon B did that. So I, you know, I think this this off season has been another really good one from Brandon Bean. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty easy to look at, uh, particularly the Stephon Diggs move, and say, I mean, talk about a home run, and in particular, I think in a year where. I, I know most NFL GMs were probably biting their fingernails down to the nubs, wondering, you know, am I going to get this rookie anytime before the month of September uh, to be able to get in front of my coaches, uh, you know, have rookie mini camp. What's that's going to be like, I, I think played a big factor in, in a lot of people's drafts. And I think a guy um, that's why you saw a guy like Jake Fromm maybe drop. I know that's why you saw a guy like Bryce Hall for the New York jets that ended up, ended up that that's why he fell um, the medicals. You couldn't have these teams get one-on-one interviews and, and medical reviews of these players. I think it really hurt a lot of, uh, a lot of prospects in this draft. But I, I think to Josh's point, the Quentin Spain move to me stands out maybe not from a retention standpoint, but how good that contract in hindsight is going to look for the next several years, because what he's the 32nd overall paid starting offensive guard in football, which is just insane because I think we could all agree. He's probably somewhere within the top 15 or 20. Um, so, I mean, tremendous value on the starting uh, for your starting left guard this year and, and how the right side plays out will be really interesting. I liked the Darrell Williams move. I know not everyone was in love with it. A lot of people go back to his 2019 season and say, well, you know, what do we have here? But I think to Brandon Bean's point is he's going to get to go back to playing on the right side where I think he definitely belongs. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up pushing, uh, you know, Ty and Secchi at right tackle. Depends if he wants to play right guard. Um, and maybe he's pushing Spencer Long. So I, I think that, again, Brandon and being his mantra, creating as much competition along that offensive line as possible. And I just did a piece, uh, a piece this week uh, at WGR550.com uh, that I, I truly think this is one of the most versatile defensive lines in football. So we know their mantra is building from the lines, from the trenches out. Um, they've certainly done that here uh, this offseason. You know, go ahead, Ryan. About that. Nate, I'm glad you kind of mentioned some of those names, Daryl Williams and um, – Addison, Josh Norman, um, Jefferson, even Taiwan Jones, the list goes on and on EJ Gaines. How important is it in your, both of your opinions to bring in these guys that are familiar with the system, whether it's time in Carolina time spent in Buffalo, like Taiwan Jones and EJ Gaines, this is a team that's right on the cusp of, of possibly making a run in the AFC. And with this shortened off season, what did you guys think about bringing in all those familiar faces that, uh, Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott uh, that they knew so well. And Dan Morgan, because Dan Morgan had that relationship with Quentin Jefferson. I'll give it to the senior. He can go first. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, and and they bring in the defensive line coach, Washington, you know, obviously from Carolina, who's very familiar with all these guys. They bring in Brian Cox Jr. who worked with Washington. I mean, it's continuity. Nate kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, rookies are really going to be behind the eight ball. Speaking of plugging your own web stories, I wrote a web story on how tough it's going to be for these rookies to come in. 
I mean, you're talking about a draft class that was selected virtually and now they begin their NFL journey online. I mean, it's just, it's nothing that has ever happened and knock on wood, quite frankly, hopefully it never does again, but it's just, they're going to learn the game at least initially in a way that no other rookie draft class has ever been asked to learn it. They're going to have to learn a playbook online and, and, what, how do you do physical stuff? I mean, I guess they're going to try to figure that out, you know, running through some types of formations and stuff. Now, the, with the ingenuity around the NFL, they'll probably figure it out somehow. They'll probably figure out how to, how to make guys learn formations and stuff like that and react, you know, like this. Just, you know, I'm sure they'll, there's some sort of app that they're coming up with already. Um, but I, I, to your point, you know, I think that, the Bills did a nice job. Brandon Bean went with a lot more veterans over younger guys mm-hmm. because those veterans, they know what it takes to get ready for, for an NFL season. Yeah, and and the depth point, again, I think is going to be more important. I, I, I don't want to dwell on the fact that we are just in this weird, unprecedented time, but a lot of this thing is the reason why you're going to see so many different steps taken, precautions taken. I would really hope that you're a team that has a lot of depth. Um, they're going to get, I think, two extra roster spots this year to 55. Is that correct? So those two extra roster spots are going to play and loom large, I think, for the 2020 season. Um, and, and in my just in my opinion, I think you're going to see teams with far more injury issues this year than in years past. The Bills were one of the healthiest teams in football last season. I wouldn't bet on that for a third season in a row. I think two years in a row, this organization has had really, really good luck um, with injuries. So for me, it's like at the end of the day, a team's without depth and depth that can step in, understand the system. Um, those teams are going to have a leg up uh, throughout this entire offseason process. And I think that's why the Bills decided, you know, let's go get guys who can understand that know the verbiage. It's not like we're talking about rock and science with Sean McDermott's defense. It's not like Rex Ryan where everything was just, you know, overly complicated and verbiated. We're talking about a simpler system, of course. But I think at the end of the day, they want guys that they can trust can execute in positions they know they can execute in. That's why Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are comfortable with the Mario Addisons of the world, right? Um, these players that can come in, know the system, know what's expected of them, the whole, the quote unquote process, right? All of those things sort of those boxes checked. So yeah, I, I think this is such a unique off season. I would really, really want to be the team that feels it, well, it in a really good place from number one on my roster, all the way down to 53 or 55, whatever it ends up being. Um, yeah, all good stuff. I think, um, you know, I, I reached out to um, the Bills today to to confirm because Brandon was talking about it on Saturday night about, you know, the coach is trying to figure out a way to get into some formation work. And it the quote kind of read back to me kind of funny, like they're not going to be meeting right at the facility and they're not. I mean, this is going to be a virtual rookie mini camp. So it's, it's unprecedented. Um, it, it, it's it's a difficult time for everybody. You know, obviously people in sports, uh, you know, it's tough, but we're living in a world today that, you know, my kids can't even go to the park and play on the swings. And so we're, we're kind of all trying to figure out a way to best move forward. And I think that to your, both of your points, the fact that 
this the continuity is there not only within the coaching staff but within the organization the front office you know knowing guys like even a guy like brian cox today there's a familiarity that brandon bean can go call mario addison on the phone or Vernon butler on the phone and say okay i'm looking at brian cox what what can you tell me about him and then we talked to brian tonight and he says that um mario addison was a guy that really uh was kind of like a role model to him in carolina uh so all those things really good points uh if you're joining us for the first time i'm matt perino Top right, Ryan Talbot. We are nyupinsyracuse.com on the bottom. Uh, uh, far left, Josh Reed of WIVB. Nate Geary on the right, WGR 550. If you have any questions, leave them in the chat room. Uh, we will get to them as the, in, th throughout the course of uh, the show. But I wanted to move next to the draft a little bit here and talk about you know, just your, your reactions now a couple days removed. We've had a chance to digest this thing. And it's funny, you look at the top of the draft here, and for the Bills, it was the second and third round picks. And I don't, I wanted to ask you, would you go, would you have gone a different way than the Bills drafted at both of those spots? And that could go in a couple ways because if you were high on some of these running backs, maybe you, you would have thought about going running back at, at 54. Um, if you were high on a, a cornerback, maybe going cornerback in the, in the third round. The more I look at this draft, though, and more I look at what, what happened and transpired after the Bills picked, I think that they picked who I would have taken at 54. Where do you guys land on that? All right, both spots. I, I mean, I feel that way. I am. I will pound the table for the A.J. Epinesa pick. Um, I, I think it was from a value perspective, from a need, from a, fit, a scheme fit perspective. I, they just it checked all the boxes for me. And it was a guy that I think I don't think anybody would have bat an eye if the Bills hadn't made the Stefan Diggs trade and took Epinesa 22. I don't think anybody would have said, holy cow, what a reach. That's a second round pick. I think for the most part, most people expected him to go somewhere between 20 and 35. Um, that didn't happen. And he continued to fall. And I think, you know, when you're Brandon Bean and and you're a guy that wheels and deals, frankly, and, and he's sort of admitted it himself, um, he is a wheeler and dealer. And I imagine it was very difficult to sit on his hands at 45, 50, seeing AJ Epinesa on the board, probably thinking to himself, I would love it if he falls at 54. I'm not going to guarantee it. But for him not to move up, stay put, um, let the board continue falling his way. He got tremendous value, didn't give up any assets to do it. And for the third round pick was Zach Moss. Um, I really love it from, again, a fit perspective. I like, um, although I do think, I think they have similar skill sets, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. I think they win in some similar ways. Having said that, I think, I, I and, and I might make the argument that I look at Zach Moss's, I wouldn't necessarily pencil in, um, I wouldn't pencil in Devin Singletary as your day one going to be bell cow starter because I do think Zach Moss is running style. I think that they liked that last year. That's why you saw Frank Gore get as many touches as he did, even though he wasn't having the, the success he was having earlier in the season, because I think they like that North South downhill runner. And although I would say Devin Singletary is definitely more slippery than, um, than, than Moss is Moss is a, I loved his quote, the making defenders make business decisions. I mean, I think that's like the best quote maybe of all time. <laughs> um, and I, I, cause that's what, that's what it looks like on film. It looks like he is, he's putting guys in situations where it's like, do I want to go one-on-one -on -one with this guy? And, uh, most cases, uh, he's going to win. So, uh, you know, I, I really like both picks a lot. I think from a value perspective, maybe you make the case JK Dobbins is the guy you really, really wanted in the second I don't think there's much of a drop off from Dobbins and, and Zach Moss. And, and, and to be honest, I like Moss's fit in the offense. The um, <clears throat> I'm with you the, the, with the Zach Moss quote. Incredible. 
great quote. Amazing. Yeah. Now the problem is in the NFL is going to be a little different than Utah because they're going to lay their <laughs> twelve. They ain't the Pac twelve anymore. Chest after they ring him up, they will lay their business card on Zach Moss's chest after they after they ring him up the first time and welcome him to the league. Um, Epinesa home run. I mean, Nate said everything you need to know. I actually had a chance to talk to Jay Neiman, the assistant off or defensive line coach at Iowa. And Kelvin Bell, the the uh, defensive line coach at Iowa, both had just nothing but great things to say about Epinesa. Um, I thought one of the interesting things that I took from my conversation with each guy was that AJ is one of those people that when he showed up at Iowa, he was very much, uh, there were a lot of upperclassmen ahead of him and he listened and he didn't speak up a lot and he kind of just soaked it all in and he was a sponge and then as he got older, he became that guy for the younger guys. And both coaches were like, I fully would expect to see that in Buffalo from him is he's going to take what Jerry Hughes has to tell him. And he's going to take what Trent Murphy has to tell him and Mario Addison. He's going to take all that knowledge, use it. And then as he gets older, he'll he'll step into that leadership role. So I was kind of kind of like to hear that. Um, the Zach Moss pick, I there were so many running backs that I liked in this draft. Um, and I'm with you when you, when you go back and look at the way the draft board fell and the way it all played out there, there was, it's not like there were three running backs that went after Moss that I went, Oh man, I, I wish they could have had, you know, I preferred that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really like to have seen him try to use some of those picks that they ended up using on a kicker to move up. Oh. You know, maybe to move up and get. I like I like the kicker move. I, I think that was the best pick of the draft. I'm not even kidding. Like I loved that pick. That is a confident pick. That, that you like that. I, pick I love than it. Epinesa. I love it. I love it. So let me ask you this then, about the kicker pick. Where do you land on your confidence level that he's going to make the roster? And I ask that because he's going against. Uh, you know, obviously a trusted veteran who has had little spurts of inconsistency over the course of his career. But for a 2020 season where the Bills are going into this, let's be honest, at this point, without a, a big move at quarterback by the Patriots, the odds on favor to win the AFC East in most people's minds, maybe not in Vegas yet, but most people's minds. Can you trust a rookie kicker, even if he's the best kicker in the class, to go into 2020 that he's going to win that job? No doubt about it. Josh is shaking his head. No way. There is no way. And I know Hauschka, you know, has been up and down, but he, he got pretty hot toward the end of the year and he made a lot of big kicks toward the end of the year. So I, I don't know. He was, and I, to be honest with you, this is what happens when you get old, you start forgetting things, but he, what, what was he during the playoff game during the wild card game? Didn't he make? He knocked or, in a couple. He players. certainly did, but that's right. that's not what I think about with the wild card game. You know what I think about in the wild card game is they decided a forty-nine yard field goal was that, was that, too long to put their kicker out there in a playoff game that was close at the end. Like to me, that was the that was the white flag, right? Like I, I thought that's that, that, a good point. I I was like, wow, uh, right. the quarterback right. has had a mental just collapse here. And you're in a position to kick a field like, and you don't do it. To me, 49 yards is 10 out of 10. My kicker is going on the field to kick that kick in the NFL. Um, I think that he has shown that his leg is definitely starting to lose that ability to hit those deep 
Um, and again, I don't want to say in the NFL that 50 to 52 isn't necessarily like we're, we're not talking about, um, you know, the, the Pac-12. We're not talking about the MAC conference here. We're talking about the best of the best. And I think you should be able to, you know, feel confident that your kicker is strong enough leg wise to, to kick in, in, in 55, 50 plus. Um, and right now, I don't think they have that confidence. So I would say as much as I agree with your point, Josh, that rookie kickers just, you know, for me, that is the, the the mental part, the mental aspect of the game. It's so difficult for these rookie kickers. And you could be the best rookie. We saw it with Roberto Aguaro um, from Florida State. I mean, the highest picked, uh, picked kicker ever in the NFL draft just couldn't get off the bus. Um, so, I mean, there is precedent for it. But I think when you look at what this kid does well, he can boom the football. I think day one, if Corey Bohorquez is, is in the plans for this 2020 season, I would watch Kari Vedvik. I, I, I would do it uh, because I think he's going to push for the, that punting position. Now, if Vedvik makes the roster, I expect him to handle kickoff duties. Now, if Bohorquez makes the roster over Vedvik, to me, that opens the door for Tyler Bass to make the team because I think he is your kickoff specialist. You know he's going to be able to get touchbacks. Hauschka at times last year struggled in some of these in the in the windier conditions in December. So um, I, I can't believe we just dedicated five Amen. minutes to the rookie kicker. Um, <laughs> but that is the type of content you would come to expect with both me and Reed on on a call like this. So hey, real quick, one last thought. I, I got to say this. It but to me, this offense now should be better. Where the the three points now now you're going to score touchdowns. That should be the thought. And to me, I want maybe if Hauschka is more accurate versus the younger guy with the bigger leg, I probably take the accuracy from 40 in versus the bigger leg because my thought is the Bills are going to score more touchdowns this year. They're going to be in the end zone more. Yeah, right. (laughs) Touche. No, definitely. And I, I think that, you know, we, Ryan and I had this conversation last night. Uh, we put out our 53 man uh, way too early uh, roster projection. And, you know, this was, I, I had Hauschka, he had Bass and it's, it's, it's a fun conversation to have because I think to Nate's point, these kinds of moves, the Jake Fromm move, the, the Tyler Bass move, these are the kind of moves that only good teams and good franchises can make, you know, bad teams don't draft kickers. Because you don't have that luxury. And so if you see a guy that you like, and and this is something that I talked about before the draft even got here, the Senior Bowl was going to play this year more than it had in any year in the past because that was where you really got a chance to dive in on some of these prospects. And, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I actually, it's funny. We talked to Brandon a couple times now, and, and we didn't ask him uh, about if that relationship started at the Senior Bowl. Uh, but I, I have – I. I would guess that they were able to take a look at him down in Mobile and say, okay, we like what he's made up. And you can just tell he seems like a, a Brandon Sean kind of guy. He's got some moxie to him. He's got some confidence. He, he, he seems like a, uh, a competitor. And, and those are the kinds of guys that uh, they like. Uh, but enough about kickers. Spend enough time about <laughs> kickers. Um, you know, you, you, let's talk about Fromm for a minute before we move on. Um, where do you guys land on this? You know, Ryan and I have both, um, you know, given our thoughts on the move. I think we're both um, at least our interest is peaked to see where this is going to go. Um, But I don't think that even in the long term, this is a move to uh, protect against Josh Allen not working out. Um, 
Good, good, good. I, go I totally, I mean, it's not, a, first of all, um, I myself am not, I think that was the worst, I, my least favorite pick of the draft. Right. Um, and it's not really from a, why'd you take a quarterback? Uh, it is really just comes from the player himself. Um, I don't really, th- I wonder how far the slide was going to continue for Jake Fromm if it weren't for the Bills. I'm not convinced as everyone else is that the the Bills pulled one over Bill Belichick. I, I don't, I, I'm not convinced that, that that is, that's the situation here. I think that Jake Fromm really struggles um uh, with, with arm strength. And, and I think when the ball gets wet, when it gets cold, by the way, he played in almost no cold games his entire college career. He's a Southern kid. He's almost never probably played in the conditions he's going to play here in Buffalo. And I know that's the most overrated and most maybe over-talked about thing in Buffalo is, oh, when you come here, you got to throw them through the conditions. If you've ever walked into that stadium, you know that at about a hundred, like 40 feet in the air, you got this swirling wind. And when you're a quarterback and Josh Allen in, in three games in a row last year, home games, were swirling winds over 35 miles per hour in that stadium. I don't care who you are. If you can't hit an out route in that kind of weather, we saw what it did to the Eagles offense. The Eagles didn't throw two balls downfield that entire game. Now, of course, they ran all over the Bills. But I guess my point here is I don't love in this particular offense as it is. He's Matt Barkley. And I would say that it, it, for the people that are like, oh, he's better than Bar- Barkley off the bus. I'm like, well, Barkley has seen NFL defenses, knows NFL defenses. Fromm is coming from an SEC team. And, and, and quite frankly, it's not like they were running a very complex offense. It was very easy. Um, it was pretty dumbed down and simple from a, a passing concept standpoint. Um, they lost a lot of their NFL talent at the receiver um, and, 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 and uh, playmaking position, um, obviously last year for Georgia. But I think for me, the, the biggest thing for Jake Fromm is I just don't think he has NFL arm strength. So if you don't have NFL arm strength, I think the everybody sorts to goes back to and says the name Drew Brees. And it's like, OK, let's not compare just because he doesn't have a good arm. He's Drew Brees because Drew Brees is the best anticipatory thrower of all time. He has been able to overcome that and play well into his 40s because he anticipates better than anyone in the league and probably for a very long time. Fromm does not have that level of anticipation. And in the NFL, you cannot be late on throws. Two or three quarterbacks can be late on throws in the NFL. One of them is is in here in Buffalo, Aaron Rodgers and you know Patrick Mahomes. Those are the three guys that can afford in the NFL to be late by a half a second and still be able to complete a pass. Jake Fromm is not going to have that luxury in the NFL and timing is everything. And with him, I just, you know, I, I don't see it. So I, I think you could really love the pick. I'm not going to call you an idiot or dumb for it. I just, I think, again, luxury pick. How mad could I really be about it? Because again, this is a, a pick made in luxury. You, you picked competition for your backup quarterback in the fifth round. Josh. Pick him from luxury. And Josh, let me kind of add on to what Nate's saying. I think that this pick means that the Bills have to carry three quarterbacks on their 53-man roster because realistically, shortened offseason, you're not going to see Fromm be able to do enough to take over that job. But would you really be willing to risk putting him through waivers and letting another team pick him up that maybe had a high draft grade on him, but he was just never the highest player available on their board? Yeah, I think that uh, it could come down to this being uh, a 55-man roster thing, right? I mean, if there are two extra roster spots that that's what we're hearing that the CBA is going to add two roster spots and make it 55. Maybe the bills believe that he ends up being one of those 55 and that they're not going to, they they can carry three. Maybe all of a sudden they're going, we can carry three quarterbacks. I I know one of the things was 
Jake, uh, that, that Fromm's big, one of his knocks was small hands, right? As long as his hands are big enough to hold a clipboard, I'm good with it. Like, because <laughs> at the end of the day, that at the end of the day, you dr- you draft Fromm not to ever play, quite frankly. You, you do. You draft him thinking that it doesn't matter because Josh Allen is going to be the starting quarterback for eight more years. Now, Fromm is going to make 300000 400000 this year. Next year, the following year, and the following year. So he can – Matt Barkley Matt Barkley is going to be more than that. Now, look, if, if they're – after this year, I'm not – Barkley, to me, something would have to be – something crazy would have to happen for Matt Barkley not to be the backup quarterback. Correct. Correct. That's what I believe. Now, next year, 2021 season – that could be what they've earmarked as, hey, if Fromm gets his rookie year under his belt and, and learns from Barkley, and, and you know, it's going to sound weird, learns how to be a backup quarterback. I mean, that's that's where the Bills are now. Yeah. Where it's, hey, Fromm, maybe, maybe they don't want him to learn from Josh Allen. Learn from Matt Barkley. That's right. Learn how to caddy for the starting quarterback. You know, I, I one thing I do want to add to this is I don't think we're not talking about the competition between Matt Barkley and Jake Fromm. That does not exist not in 2020. That that competition does not Great. exist. What we're talking about is Davis Webb versus Jake Fromm. That's the competition we're talking about is who's going to be either the are you going to keep a third quarterback because I'm going to tell you what. I like them keeping five defensive ends on the 53 or uh, defensive tackles on this 53 man roster with Vernon Butler um, and maybe five defensive ends. Maybe they're going to keep, you know, 10, nine defensive linemen um, on the game day roster. That means where are you going to get those? So for me, the competition is between Davis Webb and Jake Fromm. And do I think that uh, he is the capability of developing? Because that that's something that I see being thrown out in the chat, of course. But what I'm talking about is not a developmental trait. I'm not saying he's slow to read defenses and he can learn that in the NFL. I'm saying he doesn't have the adequate arm strength to beat defenses consistently because you do need a level. There, there is a floor. And, and I think it's really important for people to understand there is a floor for arm strength in the league. If you don't believe me, ask Matt Barkley or um, Matt Liner, right? Like that, that's a guy who did not have the floor for NFL arm strength. And he was in and out of the league quicker than you could, you know, snap your fingers. And I think that there is a level that if you don't have great arm strength, you still need to have average arm strength. You still need to be able to make all the throws. I think Jake Fromm comes in from the different I mean, we're talking about a much narrower hash mark in the NFL compared to the, to the college game. You can hide Jake Fromm's arm strength in college by throwing a ton of sideline routes to the short side of the field, which they did. You aren't going to be able to hide or protect Jake Fromm from NFL defenses when he gets in and is being asked to throw to the numbers from the opposite hash. That is a difficult throw to make in the NFL, and one I don't think he walks off the bus and is capable of making. You can hide him behind that clipboard. You certainly can. can you certainly can. <laughs> Going real quick now into the, the fan commentary here in, in the chat. Uh, one person wants to know, does A.J. Epineza make an immediate impact on the defensive line? Do you think they will allow him to take the time to get familiar with their schemes behind a veteran? Uh, look, it, you know, Ed Oliver went mid, mid to high first round, and he didn't come in and have 15 sacks his rookie season. So if that's what you're looking for, and quite frankly, at Oliver, it took him half of a season to kind of figure things out. And then once he did, you saw his playing time shoot way up. You know, his snap count went 
you watch, you look at the first half of the season to the second half of the season, Ed Oliver's snap count just went like this. Well, if you're, you know, you know, tame the expectations a little on Epinesa because they've got veterans who can get the job done still. So don't, I, I don't know that I'd expect him to go in and start racking up two, three sacks a game in the first four four weeks of the season because you know Ed Oliver didn't do it, and and this guy's the twenty second pick in the second round. Quite frankly, and that was one of the things I asked uh, one of his one of the assistant coaches at Iowa. I said because he didn't go in the first round, does that take a little bit of pressure off of him? Right. That's the one thing with Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver came. Came with some pressure, right? Because he was a first-round guy. This guy's second-round guy. There, there's, there's just different. That's apples to oranges as far as expectations go. And the guy from Iowa laughs. He goes, "Well, there's no one's going to put more expectations on AJ than himself, anyways. So it doesn't really matter." But with Ed too, I mean, that's a good point. But Ed also came in with a naivety, if you will, like very naive uh, in terms of his mindset coming in. He said, "People told him right off the jump when he got drafted." You are going to uh, get to the league and you're going to not be able to just win based on who you are and the gifts that you have. You're going to have to learn how to, you know, uh, you know, it's a game of inches technique wise, how to win your one on one matchups. And he was kind of like, man, I'll be good. I'll be good. I I know how to do this thing. And he got here and he was like, man, uh, how much time can I spend with Kyle Williams every day in practice at training camp? And so I think with Epinesa, you're not going to have a guy that comes in. Um, with that kind of mentality, he's going to be a guy that comes in and be like, how much can I learn and how quickly can I learn it? And I'm not saying that Ed didn't have that because Ed developed that really quickly. I think it was just, he was such an elite level player in a top 10 pick. It took him a few days uh, in Pittsburgh to figure out that, Oh, Hey, I got to, I got to focus a little bit more every day. You know, I think the interesting thing with Epinesa, though, um, that I'm looking forward to is I've made this comparison, and I think why it's such a home run pick is think about if you were to to put the two guys up next to each other, Shaq Lawson and A.J. Epinesa. Shaq Lawson just got paid for his 2019 season $30 million to go play out of position in Miami, um, to play a position I don't think he's going to be successful playing as in that five-technique 3-4 defensive end position. I don't think that is where he's going to go thrive. So I think AJ Epinesa is going to look even better because I think Shaq Lawson is going to take a step back this year. So just through relativity like that, I think people are going to look at it as, well, I think they got better at the left defensive end position. In my opinion, if you swap those two guys out just from a financial standpoint, I think you're going to get similar production because I think AJ Epinesa comes in and I think he's probably your best run edge defender right now. Um, and he hasn't taken an NFL snap. I think that he provides the same skill set, the same quality skill set that Shaq Lawson brought, which is an edge setting. I don't ever think he's going to be a guy that turns into a double-digit sack guy. I don't think that's going to be him. Do I think he's going to – I think he could be an eight, nine sack guy at his maybe very peak or his, his, his ceiling. Um, I think he's hey, going to do hey. a ton of winning inside too. Like I think where he's going to do his most damage is on third down when they bump him down inside. And Nate, they have two double-digit sack guys on the roster that mm-hmm. I, I think people sometimes forget about some of the things that Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. I mean, it's it's not too hard to forget about what Mario's done. I mean, he's coming off of four straight years of at least nine sacks. And the most interesting part about this di- this defensive line and Hughes in particular, coming off of a year where he played through that injury uh, in his wrist all season long, yeah, that taped up going back to the preseason. When's the last time he played with the kind of caliber pass rusher? As Mario Addison, I mean, you got to go back to Mario Williams. 
Yeah. I, and at the end of the day, as long as he can fit, and, and I keep looking back at the scheme fit, we know that Sean McDermott in that defense needs one edge setting defensive end before AJ Epines has entered this roster. That guy didn't exist. Like that's not Trent Murphy's game. And that's what they asked Trent Murphy to do a lot of times last year when Shaq Lawson came off the field. And now I think you've upgraded. And now I wonder how Trent Murphy fits into all this because I wonder how Quentin Jefferson fits into all this. He's a name that I don't think people were talking about enough um, as a guy. I think that they're going to ask to be very versatile. He's a guy that can play the seven tech, the five tech, and the three tech. That is a huge, um, to me, that's a huge versatility uh, positive or net positive or whatever you want to call it. Like mm. to me, that's going to be really interesting to me because if you say your left defensive end position is Quentin Jefferson and AJ Epinesa, well, I think you've got two edge setting run defenders that really kind of come in. And I think you can have an upgrade over what you had last year. The question is where does he slot in and is Trent, are they going to keep five defensive ends, five defensive tackles? I, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how the roster plays out, but the defensive line to me, is going to end up being such a cool storyline to see how it ends up playing out because it could just go so many ways. Like I was just trying to tinker with the lineup. You could get to like seven or eight different combinations of four guys across the board. Like, I think that's really cool. Like I, I, there's not many teams that can say they can do that. For yeah, sure. Out, outside of, and you touched on this a little bit, Nate, you know, the, <laughs> we always hear position flexibility. I mean, how, how often do we hear Sean bring that up? And you look across that defensive line, and how many guys are you look? Maybe three, Jerry, Trent, and Star are three guys. Maybe that off the top of my head are going to be, you know, exactly where they're going to play. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're on the field, those are three guys. The rest of the guys, to me, like you said, you can slide. We how we saw Shaq slide down on the inside all the time, all the time. I I could easily see AJ sliding down inside on third down on passing downs it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how that like you said how they kind of piece that puzzle together and and quite frankly that might be a week to week piecing of the puzzle together I don't know that that's going to be a set hey the puzzle's done here it is week one and that's what they run out every week that may be game plan specific one week there may be AJ Epinesa may be on the field for 65% of the snaps and the next, it may be 30. I mean, they may just, it may be game plan specific. And when you have a deep roster and especially at that position along the defensive line, you, you can kind of toy with it and tinker with it a little bit. And that that's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's a good spot to be in. Yeah. So shifting gears, the bills dipped into the wide receiver pool in round four, picking up Gabriel Davis. So Davis obviously has a great shot of making the rush as a fourth round pick, but what does that mean for the Duke Williamses, the, the Fosters and the McKenzies of this roster? Uh, you obviously have your starting trio in place. Davis is coming on board. You have Andre Roberts as your kick return specialist. What about those guys that uh, that I just mentioned there, the, the Duke uh, Duke Williams, Robert Foster, and, and Isaiah McKenzie? I love Hodgins, man. I really do. I really do. I, if you flip flopped Gabe Davis in the in the rounds, if you went four, if you went in the fourth round, Isaiah Hodges, I wouldn't have batted an eye. Hundred percent, wouldn't have batted an eye. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. It. I was actually surprised the more. So was I. And that, and then, like, I liked him, but not that I knew a ton about him. And then I went and watched his film when they took him, and I'm like, holy, this is a this guy. 
This guy checks all the boxes that the Bills didn't have in a wide receiver. And they have a ton of guys that are talented, but a ton of guys that maybe specialize in X or Y or Z. And this guy is like six foot four to ten, doesn't drop a pass. Now, granted, you know, he's he's not gonna be Randy Moss and go blazing down the field, but I'd be interested to see if if there's a spot in the slot eventually for him as that bigger body slot guy, because they already have the smaller guy with Cole. So it'll be kind of interesting to see. Talk about a position where you can move guys all around with all kinds of different, you know, spots. But Isaiah McKenzie is another one. I know they just signed him to a, to a new contract, but how's he going to fit in? If Gabe Davis, Hodgins, and the three that you just mentioned are, are going to make it, that's five. Andre Roberts was a Pro Bowl return guy. Mm-hmm. So that's six. We're running out of spots pretty quickly. I mean, McKenzie's best way onto this roster may be to do something in the preseason as a returner yeah. that makes Andre Roberts expendable. And even then, you go back to his first year in Buffalo and even before that in Denver, and he's obviously had some fumbling issues over the course of his career. So how, how secure do you feel in that? This is a all-chips-on-the-table season. Like, well... I think it's interesting because Tywan Jones is back. He's right. here again. I think that if you went, and here's the thing. I, I think the really awesome thing, we keep talking about how Brandon Bean is just playing with house money, right? And, and at the end of the day, it, they are truly playing with house money when you're going out and finding competition for wide receiver four, five, and six, because that's what they found. And I, and I think for me, Gabe Davis was brought in to directly compete with Robert Foster for his roster position. That is that fight. I think that's going to be the fight between those two players. And because I think they're both going to have similar effects and specialties. I think those guys are one of those guys are going to be your gunner. The other one's going to be Taiwan Jones. So is it going to be Robert Foster or Gabe Davis? I like Gabe Davis because I think they've already, they've used an asset on him. He's younger and he's developable. You can develop him at this point. The other one, I think Isaiah Hodgins was brought in to compete directly with Duke Williams. They're, they're similar type players. They win the same way. Like that to me says, those are the two matchups that I'm looking for. And the two, did you notice uh, what, did you notice what Brandon said uh, in his evaluation of Hodgins? What I think he dropped one or two balls last year, all season. And one of the big problems with Duke Williams, mm-hmm. especially in that playoff game was a big time drop. And then you move to the directly after that game and Sean McDermott saying, we need to find players that Josh Allen can trust. Uh, so to your point, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I think Hodgins is directly that competition for Duke. And how it ends up working out in the return game, I think, is going to end up being where Isaiah McKenzie can create his value on the roster. I think that Andre Roberts' roster position is not as big of a lock as people make it out to be. Um, and the only reason I say that is because he's going to be 33 years old this season. Um, he's not a guy that is really running away from people. And he, he's not a guy that really ran crazy 40 numbers. Like he's, he's just a good returner. He's an instinctual returner. I think if you can feel good about Isaiah McKenzie returning punts for you, that's how Isaiah McKenzie makes this roster. And the question is, and this is why I think Isaiah McKenzie might have the streamline to make the roster over Andre Roberts. You take Andre, you take Isaiah McKenzie off this roster. Who is the player right now off the bus that you think they're going to turn around and give those reverses, those shovel passes to? Because there, there isn't one. Um, they don't to... really address that. Antonio Gibson. Lynn Bowden. I said I wanted But he's not on the Bowden. team. I wanted it to be LaVisca Chenault. Uh, but he's oh, not right. Yeah. I, I see. I, I was in Antonio Gibson, the kid from Memphis. Uh, I think the Raiders ended up picking him. Um, that was the guy I was really, really pulling for. But they don't. That's the thing that I think 
is a sneaky reason why Isaiah McKenzie stays in this football team. And you say, okay, I mean, he had, they manufactured touches for Isaiah McKenzie. There are very few players in that offense that they created touches for. Isaiah McKenzie was one of those players. He was getting four right. or five touches a game that in the playbook, they're saying, this is Isaiah McKenzie's play. And, and, and if you tell me right now, I don't think they have a player that, that they have right now other than Isaiah McKenzie that is that type of role that we want to get the ball in his hands into open space. Is, is, and you know, to be honest with you, I, and I don't have his stats up right now and I don't know him off the top of my head, but I do remember seeing a couple of highlights and run plays for Stefan Diggs. Now, whether or not that's the jet sweep type of run play, I'm always has to be when it comes out, when you're coming off a, a wide receiver position, but you know, you talk about a guy that you want the ball in his hands, no matter what, right? I don't care. Just give him the ball in his hands because he can make plays. I don't know if that's some. I don't know if that's a way they can. Eh, no, you know what? I really, I, I really liked Isaiah McKenzie in eleven personnel when they had three wide receivers and they'd run out of eleven because I think the one thing with Isaiah McKenzie is everybody sort of looked at him on the field. They were like, okay, where's the shovel pass coming? And they they used Isaiah McKenzie in a lot of situations as like a tendency breaker. Say, hey, when Isaiah McKenzie's on the field and lining up in the slot, you know, is he gonna if, if they have that motion? The defense is paying attention whether or not he gets the football or not. And I think that part of that really is it plays in his value. I think Isaiah McKenzie has more value than, than a, I think a lot of people may, might lead him on to have. I think also Robert Foster, if he wants to, you know, speaking of adding value, that's one area that I think that they started to use him with uh, near the end of the season. The problem yep. with Foster, though, is he always gets hurt, it seems. Like every time, whether it's a hamstring. He makes a play time. and boom. Like exactly. yeah, like in the middle of, a, of the most amazing play of the season, you know, he stubs his toe and he's out for three weeks. I know, I, I agree. I mean, I, st I stubbed my toe when, when, you, when you first got on the screen today and I saw that mustache oh, oh. because it is just, it is unbelievable. I kind of tripped over myself. But no, moving on, I want to talk about a couple more things. There's, a, there's one more question I want to uh, talk about in the chat. But one, one topic that I want to hit is a very interesting one that popped up uh, today. The Bills signed to a one-year deal. Uh, Brian Cox Jr., uh, this will be his fourth year in the league, and obviously his, his father is the infamous Brian Cox from the Miami Dolphins, uh, the Bills-Dolphins 90s-era rivalry. Uh, everybody that's a Bills fan or whose fathers or uncles were Bills fans uh, knows who uh, Brian Cox is. So just the dynamic of this right off the bat, I, I, I put out a couple things today and the reaction to it was about what I expected. I mean, you know, there, there's there's obviously the level-headed fans that's like, I'm not going to blame a son for the actions of his father, but there's also a, a big collections of, of fans that said, hey, I can't wait till this guy gets cut. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, the first time he makes a big play for the Bills, people will be running out buying jerseys with Cox Jr. on the back, <laughs> right? Let's face it. I mean, Sure, I know Brian Cox. Is is that his dad was that guy? Uh, but here's the thing, and I know that he was that guy a lot against the Bills because they played each other twice a year. But he was that guy. Period. Right. right? I mean, he was just that was he. When we had a chance to zoom with him, he even said, "My dad played the part of the villain, and he thrived in it, and he knew his role, and it was something he relished. He embodied it." It. You know, it juiced him up. Well, that's fine. I mean, there are always guys every decade that kind of are that guy that you just love to hate. You just love – 31 teams in the NFL hate the guy. One team in the NFL likes him. And Who's the guy what? now? Who's the guy now? The first person that comes Ooh. to mind maybe is Richard Reggie. Sherman. Oh, maybe? I was thinking Richie Incognito. Ooh, that's a good oh, one. Yeah. I think it's Richard Sherman. Yeah. 
Oh, lest we forget Monday night football. How could we forget? Like, I, I'm going to say this. If we're just talking from a Bills fan's perspective, I don't think anyone's going to – no one's going to forget what he did in that game at the end of that game. Was it Was it Hauschka? Was Steven, Was Hauschka still the kicker at that time? Um, Or was it Carpenter? It was Carpenter. It was Dan Carpenter when uh, right at the end of the half. And then, and then he, who did he push? Was it Robert Woods? Pushed Robert Woods out of bounds at the end of the game when Tyrod Taylor tried to make the, like, to me, that game stood out as I hate Richard Sherman um, because he, he was like, at the end of the game, everyone was growing about, it. he's like, I know the rules, guys. You guys don't know the rules. I know that I can do that in that situation. And it seemed like a cheap shot, but really he was playing within the rules. I, I think if you're a Bills fan, if you had a pick, who your most hated player is in the league right now, I would think that it's got to be Richard Sherman. And I think the reason I mentioned him too is because I think that that goes across fan bases. I mean, I think there's a lot of teams, you know, when he was in Seattle and now in San Francisco, I mean, there's some, there's high profile rivalries with both of those teams. And I think that, you know, fans of, of the opposite team tend to dislike Richard Sherman a little bit, but incognito is a little bit interesting too. I mean, he's got a quite a nasty streak uh, that's been on display over the years. Uh, I'm trying to think. Walt of Powell. How about, how about- Walt Powell. That's who it was. It was Walter Powell that got pushed out of bounds. Holy <laughs> crap! I can't believe somebody somebody came up with that. You're that you're too big. Perfect. Fan. How about? Oh, that's a great choice. That's a great one. Yeah, he's so Henry good. But he's not even in the league right now. Yeah. It's Henry Anderson. Yeah, that's definitely who it is. That's who but, they hate. But here's he- the thing, though: Henry Anderson can't really count because I don't think that uh, you know enough of casuals know, sure, know who sure. he is. So Ooh, Jarvis Landry is a good one. Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is a great. Jarvis one. Landry is a good one. Interesting. I, I would say I would say Odell Beckham Jr. is about as he he really splits fan bases. I okay. mean, not for for a different reason, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for, you know, he's not a cheap shot guy. He's not that. But for a different reason, you won't find many people that either really like Odell Beckham Jr. for the player he is, or they just think he he's just a prima donna and isn't that good, quite frankly. So I, I'm trying to think of another guy who's been suspended. Though. Edel- Edelman. Edelman is definitely that guy, right? And what's funny is I know that Bill's, I mean, if you talk about the last 10 years and talk about, public enemy number one for Bills fans. I mean, Rob Gronkowski is in the conversation, but what's funny about that is it's really just one incident. I don't think that, that you can kind of take him and push him into the larger uh, bucket. He's, you know, he's, he's kind of a funny guy. Like, uh, you know, I went to Williamsville North, so I got a little bit of a soft spot for him, but I, I don't see him being that bad boy net. Like we're talking, and, and we also might be talking about, you know, Josh mentioned you get, you have one every era, we're in a different era. You know, let's be honest. I mean, that era was a, a nastiness that doesn't exist today. A lot of the reason for that is the, the rules that have changed, the, what you're able to do. I mean, back in the day, Brian Cox can go and kill Jim Kelly and he'd be perfectly within his rights. because Let's put it this way, Perino. I wasn't allowed it, at a Miami Dolphins home game until I was 16 years old because my dad would not allow me to go to Dolphins games from the scar tissue of the early 90s and late 80s when that was so I, so like he was like nope you're not you can go to any game on the schedule you are not allowed to do until Dolphins game until you're 16 years old and not and my first Dolphins game I was like this makes a lot of sense why I wasn't allowed here before if, 16. If he fu- if he finds a team, Antonio Brown is top three in the oh, most hated players yeah. in the NFL. Oh, easily. Right? 100%. Yeah. And I think he'll right? find and, a team. 
I think and, he'll find a once, theme. And once again, he, much like you were talking about, he goes across, you know, different fan bases. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Patriots fans don't like him because yep. of what happened. Steelers fans don't like him. Because Definitely of what hate him. Bills fans don't like him because of what they think happened. You know what I mean? There, there's a lot of fan bases who just do not like Antonio Brown. Um, let's get to one more question here uh, before we wrap up. Uh, if you're just joining us, thank you. Uh, however you found us, this is uh, Bill's Talk with Matt Perino. My co-host is always Ryan Talbot in the bottom. Josh Reed from Channel 4 and Nate Geary, the mustached superhero from WGR 550. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for joining me. And, and CB cornerback was a position that was talked about heavily uh, before the draft. And, and, you know, the Bills went out and added Josh Norman early on before free agency then brought in EJ Gaines after the fact. Um, this fan, particular fan wants to know, how can Dane Jackson come in and potentially make an initial impact with the competition that's in place there? Because I think the fact that they waited to the seventh round tells us what they think they have in Norman, Levi Wallace, and EJ Gaines. Reed, take it. Yeah, I, no, I, th- I think you're right. I think his best shot might be in the slot. You talk. We were talking about guys who – have struggled with injuries. Taron Johnson, I mean, he is solid, but that guy. And part of it is that "quote unquote" dog mentality, if you will. Like he sticks his nose in there, and he is not a big guy. He is not afraid to get near the line of scrimmage and hit people. But man, every time talk about the Robert Foster syndrome. Like every mm-hmm. time he makes a big play, it's you know the grabbing of the yep. shoulder, or you know, and you're going, "Oh man, this guy." He, like you see flashes where you go, Taron Johnson can play. Like this guy's a ball player. He's not afraid of anybody. Pound for pound, I would argue he might be one of the toughest guys on the team. Pound for pound, but he just is always dinged. So may, maybe, maybe, maybe in the slot. I agree with that. I think that's probably where his value comes in. I, I think that I also. Levi Wallace is, I think, criminally just gets under-talked about. I think, again, although he was sort of playing a specialist role, him and Kevin Johnson coming on in specialty situations together, kind of creating a tandem cornerback, too. Um, When Levi Wallace was in the field, I thought he played good football last year. I think that they're looking at the Josh Norman situation probably a lot like they looked at the Kevin Johnson situation. I think that you'll see, at least initially, them give the benefit of the doubt to Josh Norman. Um, I think... I'm not in the camp that I'm expecting to see 2015 Josh Norman. I don't think anyone should assume that, but I do think you should see a better Josh Norman than you saw last season. Um, I think he's going to have more confidence in the system. He knows he's played his best football in the system and he knows what to do, what the calls are and, and, and where to be in the system, which is really is the most important part of it. I, I think Jackson's best opportunity again, to Josh's point is in the slot. The question is what, what do you have in Sarah Neal? And how much do you like him internally? Because I'm going to tell you what, the guy played outside corner and did not look out of place at times last year. I, that was the most surprising thing to me is I thought for sure the guy was a box safety defender. He piqued my interest when he looked very, very good in the big nickel role. He sent me to another level when he looked not out of place on the outside of the corner position when, when they were forced to due to injury. That was a big eye opener for me. That was a big eye opener for me. And doesn't Neil also have extra versatility in terms of probably being the MVP of the special teams team last yeah. year? Yeah, no, totally. And and I think they like Dean Marlowe in that position too. Like if, if those two guys are going to be their big nickel, um, 
where, why would you keep, you know, four nickel players? I, I'm not sure that they're going to do it. Jim, Jimmy Silguero would love that. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, they're probably not going to keep four guys to play in the slot position defensively. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. He's a seventh round pick, um, but we've seen seventh round picks come in here at the cornerback position. You know, Nicole Roby Coleman came in here and became a household name and is making money across the league. I think he was a sixth rounder, um, but they've taken some of these late rounder corners and, and have gotten a lot out of them. So it'll be interesting. You know, I, I think Bryce Hall turned into who was the kid from Arizona state last year that fell, 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 or uh, Iowa state, the wide receiver, uh, Hakeem Butler, oh, Butler, Hakeem Butler. I remember from the third round until the seventh, I just remember everyone saying, Hakeem Butler, why, why does everyone keep overlooking it? That was Bryce Hall in this draft. Um, I thought that Bryce Hall, I mean, from the third round on, I'm thinking to myself, why haven't the bills taken? Why aren't the bills taken? Everyone was like, and the fourth round pick, where Gabe Davis went. Everyone's like, oh, well, Bryce Hall here. You know, that's where he's coming off the board. The Bills here in the fourth round, and they took Gabe Davis. And so then you really started to think, man, I think they think more about their corner room than people on the outside. And if we've known anything about this team, this organization, they've got a pretty good feel. They've got their thumb on this roster. If they, if they feel good about corner, we should probably just agree and take their word for it. Okay, one more question from uh, the chat. Is there any undrafted free agent that you could see making this roster? Trey. Yes. No, no. That's no. Not, I'm going Gilliam. You're going Gilliam. Okay. I'm going to go Trey yeah. Adams. Uh, I'm going to go Gilliam um, over DeMarco. Uh, and I know they love DeMarco and I know they love his special team ability, but Gilliam. Uh, I'm just so happy to, uh, a guy I went to high school with him, good buddies with, is the head coach of Toledo, Jason Candle. So as soon as they signed, uh, well, I heard a rumor that <laughs> that they were going to get Gilliam. Um, so then uh, I called Candle, and we kind of chatted a little bit about him. The sick, this kid had six block kicks. Six. Like, six blocks. Like, that. you talk about a special team stud. They were like, and he said, look, the kid's got really good hands. He, this kid will run through a brick wall and he was like, and you're getting a rookie that, you know, he hasn't gotten paid. So he'll continue to run through that brick wall, you know? So I'm if thinking, you lose, Zoe, let me just bump in here. Cause I like what you're saying. And we talked about this a little bit last night, but let me ask, you know, everybody in here, you lose Lorenzo Alexander in this scenario, you lose Patrick DeMarco who steps into those roles in the room. If you're losing Patrick DeMarco. Yes. Lee Smith. I think you're losing Lee Smith too. <laughs> yeah. While and, we're and at it. Look, here's the thing. I, you're talking from a leadership standpoint. Is yeah. that what you mean? Yeah. I, look, I, Tremaine Edmonds, you know, mm. continues to step up as a leader. And I think he's only going to get more of that role next year. This is Josh Allen's team. Look, you're, look he's the quarterback, you know, and quite frankly, I think he does a good job of, of being a leader. I think they rally behind him. I think they look at him as their guy. And I'm going to tell you what, that goes back to pretty much day one. And he'll forever in his career, if he continues to make strides, he'll forever in his career be a little indebted to LaShawn McCoy because mm. LaShawn came, was one of the first people that came out and said at a podium, Josh Allen is that guy. Like, this is our leader. Like, he is a dog. Like, this guy is the guy like he's gonna get us where we gotta go and and 
this Josh Allen's team. This is a quarterback league. Let me reset He's a quarterback. This, Let me reset this a little bit. What I mean is you go back to what Sean McDermott says about getting the message across in his room. Hmm. And on the field, I, I agree with you. In the locker room, to an extent, I agree with you. Josh Allen and Tremaine, this is their team. But they are both responsible for a lot of what's happening on both sides of the ball. So I'm talking about those guys that bring other guys along. Josh Allen's got to worry about himself. Josh Allen's got to worry about being the quarterback, the face of a franchise. He's not going to spend time working with, you know, uh, 43 through 53 uh, on the roster and bringing them along and making sure that they get the message. So I'm talking about those guys that know the program, those veterans that are going to really set the tone and the message in the room. And if you think that those two guys are ready to have those roles, then I, I, I believe you because you know what? You got to, you do have a sexy head of hair. I, oh. I'm talking to Josh, Nate. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, trust me. I know. I know that wasn't my cue. Don't worry. Um, I will raise you an interesting name to this room and why I think he was signed in the first place is AJ Klein. I think that's an interesting name. If you want to toss in there as sort of a leadership council type of guy, I think he's going to end up um, likely wearing the C. Um, I, 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 he's an interesting name to me. I think that's probably why you bring him in. Um, is to help with some of the youth at the linebacker position. The other, the undrafted for agent question, though, the reason I'm thinking Trey Adams, by the way, Trey Adams um, in last year's Matt Miller's too early after the 2019 draft, the 2020, this was a guy that was listed as a potential first-round pick going into last season. Injuries derailed his career at Washington. But if you want to talk about the definition of, like, big ugly, like there's the big uglies up front, like that is he is – six foot eight, 330 pounds of just ugly man. And like, that's the kind of guy that I want on my offensive line all day. The we, the one quarter of this chat right now is the definition of ugly man too, because <laughs> I cannot stop looking at that mustache. <laughs> I'm just busting you, man. I just want to um, your girlfriend walked into the room and turned the lights on and it, it sh- <laughs> shone a light on that stash. It was so beautiful and so perfect. So yeah, you know, it started to run. It started to scurry. <laughs> It's like, you know, it's eight o'clock. My mustache is leaving the chat. So Uh, there it is. All right, guys, this was a great time. Uh, We are at an hour. This has been so much fun. Nate Geary, WGR 550. Follow him on all the social media platforms. He's a great guy. Great follow. Uh, Josh Reed, bottom left, sports director of Channel 4. My man, always have fun when we get a chance to talk to you. And for Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. This has been Bill's Talk uh, with Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Find it on all of your uh, podcast applications. We're on Apple, Stitcher, Google, uh, Spotify, everything. Uh, subscribe, and uh, you know we really appreciate your support. Guys, have a great night. Uh, keep it locked on to NYUp and Syracuse.com for all your Bills content.